Hello, Northside. It is great to see all of you. Um, what a gift to get to be here. It is my, my first time, and um, I don't know, I feel like a proud parent or something, I think, walking through the halls. It just, you all are doing such a great job over here. Um, if we haven't met, that may sound weird for me to say, I feel like I know all of you. Well, we've been praying uh, for all of you and um, dreaming alongside all of you for a long time and walking into this space. It just it feels really exciting. I got to go to Lydia's class this morning and, um, you know, there's no better time as far as I'm concerned than that. Uh, it's like, you know, the best kind of Sunday school and you all are, are doing great things over here. We love you very much, and I'm thrilled that I get to be in Romans with you uh, today, Uh, maybe particularly on a day like today. It just struck me, you know, all of you, as I'm looking out, you all have braved the wilds of daylight savings and coronavirus in order to be here uh, to talk about Romans, which, I don't know, something about that really blesses me. Um, I think... You know, we've we've chosen to be in Romans throughout the Lenten season at Trinity, and that's a somewhat um, audacious choice, maybe. It's like um, it, Paul is doing and saying a lot, and also feels maybe, I, I hope you will feel at the end of this, like the best kind of food to eat during the season of Lent, um, maybe exactly the kind of fuel that we need. Uh, for this season. So we are, of course, here at Trinity and in churches all over the world well into the Lenten season uh, now. And here at Trinity, we've made it a choice to use the the language and the story of Jesus's journey towards the cross as our like our primary framework or our way of thinking about the season of Lent. Um, so rather than taking a kind of Old Testament take, which of course is always there, that story, even in the background of Jesus's story, uh, we've decided to, f- to focus our language and our attention on, on Jesus and the cross. And um, specifically the weeks where um, Jesus and the disciples would have been heading most decidedly and determinedly towards the cross. They had made a, a decision like they were going to Jerusalem and, you know, with varying degrees of awareness, knew what that might mean for them. But what it was that those weeks where they were heading towards the cross, whether they realized it or not exactly what was happening, it was a hard time. Uh, it was a, an uncertain time. It was a really challenging time um, for Jesus and for the disciples. And specifically, if you think about um, those weeks, you look at them. I, I also think that there was a lot of purpose in that time and maybe even more pointedly, a gift in it, a real grace, actually, that whether they knew it or not, I think Jesus knew that there was a preparation of sorts that they needed to go through before they were ready to receive what the cross would be and maybe more importantly, what was on the other side of the cross and in a similar way that like what Israel was experiencing in the wilderness. Um, And I don't think we often maybe talk about or think about Lent as a real gift and a grace, but that is exactly what it is. The church intends for Lent and this Lenten season to be a gift and a grace. It's a time of preparation for us to um, come to terms with, really, the ways in which we are and maybe more importantly are not ready for Easter and what's on the other side of it, not just the season of Easter on the calendar, of course, but like what it means to live life as resurrection people. Are we actually, like, can we be those people? Are we those people? Before Peter could be the rock upon whom Jesus built the church, he had to come to terms with the fact that there was like a coward living inside of him, you know? There was a traitor in his bones. And that's not anything that any of us want to have to see or acknowledge or deal with. But Jesus knew that really that was the only way 
Peter believed himself to be, you know, faithful to the end. You know, he was going to the cross with Jesus as far as he was concerned. And then he got there and he realized, I'm, I'm not actually, I don't have within me all the way through me the, the, what I wish I did. And there's something about Lent that asks a similar question of us. It, it, it begs the question, like, could there maybe be a, a coward inside? In what ways is there a traitor in my bones? Am I really ready for the reality is the blessing of, of Easter, as Lydia was talking about, there is blessing comes with a weight. Sometimes it feels really good and it's meant to be good. It is a gift, but man, if you don't have the muscles to carry it, it can be tough, you know. Um, so Paul, in this chapter four of Romans, this whole chapter is about um, what it means for God to desire to bless his people and how God um, has blessed his people through this promise that he made way, way back when, a long time ago, that he has ever since Abraham been fiercely committed to this idea of wanting to bless and fulfill a promise to his people. And this whole chapter is about how that promise gets fulfilled, how God goes about guaranteeing it and securing it, making sure uh, that it can happen. what promise, you might ask. So what is the thing that God wants to do? What is the blessing um, that God has given to Abraham? And it's, you know, I'm so glad you asked uh, because uh, that's the rest of the chapter. Paul spends his time talking about, you know, reminding effectively the, the people who are reading this letter what this promise was and how it goes about being met. And he goes all the way back to Abraham, of course, to do it. And so that means we're going to have to spend just a little bit of time um, going backwards in our Bible a little bit and doing a little bit of theology and a little bit of Bible work, which means you are going to commit to staying with me for the next five minutes while we do it. Because this is usually the point where people are like, oh, Abraham, Genesis, oh, power down. <laughs> and then I'll power back up when we get to the other bits. But this, this part, I think, um, actually really matters. There aren't, you know, there are a few verses that I would say like must be, ought to be. They maybe ought to come highlighted in your Bible, which I know is dangerous territory. But these um, Genesis 12 and the the verses that we read at the beginning of the chapter or the beginning of the service and these chapters that outline the promise to Abraham are arguably among those verses. They're really important because those are the verses that tell the story about God initiating a really unique, a specific kind of relationship with humanity. In Romans, we've already talked about Adam and what God did with, with, through humanity with Adam, a really incredible thing in creating the human race. And now there's this other thing now, a particular thing that God's gonna do um, through the person of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and initiates a promise, a relationship. And in short, this is what he says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. And this relationship is meant to be the means by which um, the promises of God to bless the whole world really do come to fruition. Abraham will be blessed as a part of that, but ultimately this blessing is meant to extend uh, through him. And as a result then, Abraham would, as it were, Paul says in chapter four, inherit the whole world. His inheritance would be this worldwide family of faith that gets initiated um, through him. And the Old Testament is, if in short, to sum up something that ought never to be maybe summed up this way, telling the story of how Abraham's descendants go about trying to live into, fulfill, and make good on this, this promise and commitment to God. And of course, they don't do a great, a great job of it. 
it doesn't go well. Um, and actually the Old Testament ends with a question, like how now in light of Israel's failures to uphold this relationship, is God going to make good on his promise? Like if, if there were like a parenthetical at the end of your Old Testament, it would be that question to just like sum it up theologically. The question on Israel's mind is, what about the promise? Not just to Israel, but even bigger than Israel, beyond to the whole world. That God wants this worldwide family of faith, this gift. And of course, Paul would say that in Jesus, we have the answer to that question that Jesus was, in fact, that he came um, to answer the question on everybody's mind, how will God make good on his promise? And Paul would say, in short, well, he's done it in Jesus. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus lived a life and died a life that was, that was faithful. Through his life and his death, he remained faithful to God and, in short, did what Israel couldn't do in him. And because of that, because in him there was real faithfulness, God has now secured a way to like fulfill this promise. And all we have to do, all we have to do is believe that that's true. In short, that's what he's saying is that now this faith that we have access to because of Jesus's faithfulness becomes the means by which God can make good on this promise. Um, And you might think to yourself, well, cool, (laughs) What does, that, what does that mean for any of us? That's always the thing, you know, at the end of every chapter on theology. Great. That sounds really rad. Why, why do we, any of us care, you know? Why does that matter for us? It matters, I mean, so many reasons. Um, Paul, for him, he might answer that question differently than, than you or I would. For him, in his particular moment, it mattered a great deal because what he was trying to get his audience to see is that actually what had happened in Jesus was not this radical departure from what God had intended all along. That the faith that now these Gentiles had access to and all of us had access to, we have access to it the same way that Abraham did, through faith. Abraham was the father of Israel and the father of this faith, not just through his loins or through his acts of obedience. But Paul said, before all that, before the loins and the descendants, before the acts of obedience, there was this moment when Abraham had to choose to believe God. He had to choose to trust him. And Genesis recounts the moment for you. Do you remember the story? God takes Abraham out under the stars. And I don't know what happened out there under those stars, But something happens inside Abraham because he goes from a man full of doubt and uncertainty to just quite simply, the text says, and Abraham believed. And God in turn reckoned to him or credited to him or gave him faith. And Paul thinks that's brilliant because what he's saying is, so something happened in Abraham He made a choice. He made a decision to just trust God. And as a result then, it's like God worked this faith, this gift in him that then allowed him to move forward and be in relationship with God, have the descendants, do acts of obedience. But it all started with this initial choice to trust. So two two things I wanna say about why I think that matters for us. Um, I think Paul wants us to hear, and this would, you know, my words, not his, and overly overly simplified, but in short, two things. Um, Paul is saying that God is the one who makes a way when there is no way. It's the first thing. And the second thing is that faith is a gift. 
So I wanna talk about both of those things. God is the one who makes a way when there is no way. And faith is a gift. One of my favorite names for God in all of the Bible is what Paul says in verse 17 of this chapter. Um, Paul says of God in verse 17, um, our God. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence those things which do not exist. Like that's, for Paul, that's his name. That's who he is. God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. And here's why I think that, that stuck out to him and meant so much to him is because that was Paul's story Before he was Paul, he was Saul and he could not become Paul unless God was the one who calls things to life that are dead and creates that which should not otherwise and could not otherwise be out of nothing. That was Paul's story. And so if he, based on his own experiences, looking back through the story of Israel, he can look at Abraham and see in Abraham something similar. God not intervened in Abraham's story. Abraham's story would have been a very different kind of thing. And yet God, for no reason that we're told, reasons we'll never know, God initiates this relationship with Abraham. And as a result, Abraham's whole life changes. And of course, not just Abraham's life, but Paul would say all of our lives. And now he's looking at his own life and saying the same thing is true for me. Had God not come and like intervened in my life, then I would have been moving this direction. And now as a result of what God has done, I'm moving in this direction. And things that would not otherwise exist now exist because of who he is and um, what he's done. I, uh, this has been my, my story too. And I, I think for some of us have more dramatic versions of this than others. Mine's not all that dramatic. Paul is a pretty dramatic version of this. You know, he, God, arrested him in a really powerful kind of way, you know, knocked him on his rear end, quite literally. And, you know, mine was, took a little longer than that. It wasn't one moment. It was a series of moments, um, but in its own way, definitive. There was a time in my life when I was going in a direction decidedly not in that, uh, I was not walking with Jesus. I was doing what I wanted to do. And the only way for me to get to where I needed to go to be the person that God had called me to be was if like God intervened and gave me a choice to like choose to go and move in the direction of Jesus or not. And the reason that I wanna say that to you is because um, I believe that there's something about that moment in my life when I look back to it, where what God was saying is, look, I have a plan. I have a, I have a something I'm really wanting to do here. <laughs> Not just in you, but in the world. Like going, you know, it's not like God was like, look, I've been doing this since Abraham, sister. I've been having these kind of conversations. I am really determined to bless the world and I would like for you to get it together So and decide to come with me so that I could like, you could be a part of that. And I could see this promise fulfilled in your life. Do I have my own individual purpose and plans? And yes, God has those. But sometimes we get so fixated on the individual plan, my purpose-driven life, you know, that all the plans that God has for me and my story that we lose sight of the fact that your life is connected as far as the Bible is concerned to something much bigger than that. 
that actually the whole point of Lent is not just about me and my life and getting it just right, but actually the point of Lent is that I can connect myself to something bigger so that I can be a part of a people through whom faith comes when it gets really dark outside so that as a people, we become an agent of hope whenever corona threatens around every bin, whenever people are sick and hurting, we together as the people of God become a family, a worldwide agent of hope. And basically God intervened in my life to say, would you like to be a part of that or not? Because you can move towards it or you can move away from it. And in choosing to say in utter ignorance about what it would mean or cost me to just say, yes, Jesus, I wanna move with you. That yes initiated faith. It initiated something in me that allows me now to like keep saying yes over and over and over again. It's like the first yes gives birth to more yeses, but that faith is a gift. It is something that God promises to give not just once, but over and over and over again. I want to say this just quickly, like two practical things. God is the one who makes a way when there is no way. For you, the way that you need to go may, oh, I will just say emphatically, your life belongs to Jesus. And if you have not yet surrendered that life to Jesus, then the only thing you need to know about the big questions around your future are that. He is your future. And if you've not, said, not yet said yes to him or given your life to him, then that's the way that God is making for you. You don't need to answer any of the other questions. That's a first question that has to be answered. If you would say, well, I have answered that question. I have given him my life. And let me tell you, I would have said I, had, I was a Christian. That is not the question I'm asking. I'm asking if you have given your life to him to follow him where he leads you. Because if you have not, then that's the thing he's focused on. That's the way forward for you. If you have already done that and you feel conflicted over which way to go, you are stuck, slumped, as Dr. Seuss says, and cannot unslump oneself. Um, sometimes that, that can be two, two things need to happen. Um, you either need to sit tight or you need to turn around. Sit tight or turn around. Well, how do we know which one it is? Sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to do and we don't see a way forward because we're not meant to make one. We need to sit tight. And sometimes that's really hard. I've been in a sit tight place for a while now. It's hard to be there. And as in preparing for this um, sermon, God reminded me of Paul's sit tight time. He also had one and it was right after his encounter with Jesus. He meets Jesus. He's blinded for three days. Do you remember this? He can't see anything. His disciples, literally his friends have to lead him um, to the, this house. He goes to a house in Damascus, a guy named Judas's house on Straight Street, as it were. Judas's house on Straight Street becomes the place where blind Saul goes to wait it out. Can you even imagine how vulnerable he must have felt? He's the enemy of the church and how utterly confused he must have been. And there was nothing for him to do. Had he decided to jump up and just make a way, figure it out, go find the disciples, he literally could not have. He was blind. He had to wait for God to send Ananias to come and put his hands on him 
and pray for him. And then it was time for him to go. All that to say, some of you are in Judas's house on Straight Street. And that's a place. And it's not bad. In fact, it's exactly where you're supposed to be. And you just need to be praying for Ananias to come and lay his hands on you and pray for you or whatever that shift looks like. Some of you need to turn around. And if you don't know, if you're like, do I need to turn around? You probably are fine. When we really need to turn around, it's those of us who know that we need to turn around and we are adamant that we are not those people. I am good, I am fine, I am doing this, I am doing this, I am doing this. And that's, that's okay. But God cannot make a way for you forward in the direction you want to go if that's not where he's leading you. So if you keep running into dead ends, heading this way, if things aren't working out and you're becoming less the person that you know that you're meant to be, you're seeing less in your own life that you know is a reflection of who God is, if the fruit ain't good, then it's time to turn around. And there is grace for you in that. You'll have the faith that you need to do it. If you'll just say, God help me, I want to turn around. Because, and lastly, faith is a gift. I cannot possibly surrender my whole life to Jesus with full knowledge of what that will mean. He knows it's a commitment I make in ignorance. I did it when I was nine. Who knows what they're doing when they're nine? But I don't know arguably any more at nine than I know now at 35 about what the rest of my life will mean or my confession to Jesus, will ta- where it will take me. So all I can do is say, yes, Lord. And then the faith comes after as a grace and a gift. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, it is something that we ask for. And I think a lot of us operate under the assumption that it's just something we should have. I should have faith. I know I should, so I'm gonna act like I do. And I really don't have it or feel it. And then we go about our lives with Jesus that way. When Paul says over and over, ask. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the faith that you know that you need. Because it would, you'd have to either be like woefully ignorant or woefully arrogant to enter into the wilderness on your own strength. Nobody goes into the wilderness without faith. I think the most faithful prayer of Lent would be, come Lord Jesus, give me faith, Lord, and I'll follow you wherever you're going, wherever you're taking me, whatever you wanna do. Because if we will pray that prayer, then the promises of God, this is Paul's point, they will be fulfilled in you. Greater purposes and the smaller ones. I think we'll be people that other people look to and say, that person is a blessing in my life. That person is a gift because of her courage, because of her faith, because of his compassion, his generosity. I hope in these next few weeks, we can hear what Paul's saying about Abraham and circumcision and justification and righteousness of God. And we can take all that and bring it down to like where we live, which is like, I believe God is a way maker. And I believe he's given me the faith that I need to follow him.
when he makes a way because of who Jesus is. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince, and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.